we are finishing off our Sermon on the Mount series. Have you been blessed by this? We have finally got to the end, and today uh, we are going to go through the whole of Matthew chapter 7. Um, so I will be probably glossing over some of the passages in here because there's a bit too much to cover. And uh, I thought that eight weeks in three chapters was being very generous, but um, God's just really been speaking uh, to me through this series. I've never slowed down to really look through the Sermon on the Mount, so this has been a big blessing for me. And so can we just pray because um, I really want the Holy Spirit to be speaking to each and every one of us uh, about something that we can um, work through. I think that the Sermon on the Mount is, is not just something that we understand, but it's something that we need to live out. And, and so that's my prayer. Let's pray. Uh, dear Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are moving and that you are speaking. Let your voice be clear. And I pray for the boldness to obey and to live out all that you are saying. I pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm probably not going to read all of it because that will take time, but let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. It's on the screens, and um, it starts with a very, very famous um, statement that says, Judge not that you not be judged, yet you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then another really weird statement here, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearl before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, um, if you live in Australia, you would probably have at some stage, maybe on social media, heard that people have thrown this statement back in Christians' faces and says, do not judge. You're not allowed to judge because you're a Christian. And is that what it means? And, and when people say that, what do they mean by that? It often is that you are a Christian and you are therefore not allowed to judge that my actions are sinful or that you are able to judge that my actions are maybe dysfunctional or unhelpful. You're not allowed to say that. Being a Christian means that we need to let everyone live their own little lives by themselves and we are not allowed to touch them. That's what the world means when they throw this uh, phrase back in our faces and say, judge not, right? Agree? Maybe that was a little bit strongly worded, but I think that's the intention that people are saying. When people say, you're not allowed to judge, when you say, look, we don't believe in gay marriage. Yo, don't judge people. You know, you're not allowed to do this. Well, don't judge people. Don't judge me. Don't judge me for my decisions. Don't judge me for making all of these different, uh, for all these behaviors or these inclinations or desires. You don't judge me. You're not allowed to judge. You just need to love me. But what we need to understand is that this verse comes in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And through this whole sermon, Jesus has been teaching us how to judge. Yes. That's what this whole three chapters, it tells us what is life-giving behaviors and what are cursed behaviors. It says, do not be angry. It's like, well, that's a judgment. 
Don't be angry. Don't judge me. I like being angry. Well, we are not allowed to say that because this is what Jesus is saying. And in verse 6, he then says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs unless they trample them and then turn against you. Jesus is still saying that we are meant to judge whether we are to invest in people or not. And we're going to talk about that verse in just a moment because it's a bit strange. But Jesus isn't saying that we are not allowed to make any judgments whatsoever. But what he's saying in here is that there are some kinds of judgments that we are not allowed to make. And the kinds of judgments that we are not allowed to make, or, or whatever we shouldn't make, because I don't think that Jesus is so much giving us a law, it's like, don't do this, don't do that, but Jesus is giving us a framework of understanding and evaluating our life and our actions, and he's telling us that there are some judgments that he calls hypocritical. Remember in verse 5, he says, you hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eyes, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. So Jesus is saying that there are hypocritical judgments. And remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. What is a hypocrite? In our English language, we say that a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another thing. But that is an evolving of the usage of the word hypocrite. The original usage of the word hypocrite was an actor a person who acted in the theater. And so I think Jesus is saying that there are some people that make true, helpful judgments, and then there are people that are just acting as though they're trying to be helpful, but really they are not. They do not truly have a heart for people. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' inauguration message talking about his kingdom. And a lot of what he shares in these three chapters is how we are meant to live with one another. And one of the things um, that we can see as Jesus talks about anger and lust and generosity and prayer and all of these different behaviors, one of the things that human communities often do is that we begin to judge and compare. And so as I was looking into this and I was uh, researching this, hypocritical judgment is somehow more about me than it is about you. Because what we often do when we compare ourselves with other people is that we are trying to ascertain where I am at and what it means for me rather than what it means for you. When we see someone who is uh, on Instagram or nowadays on TikTok and showing their amazing holiday and all the lifestyle that they have with all the glamorous makeup and all that kind of stuff, and when we compare ourselves to them, maybe for the ladies, maybe not so much the gents, the gents maybe is all the muscle gym stuff that you might be seeing, and look at those muscles on muscles, and then you compare it and it says, what does this mean about me? Hypocritical judgment is about gaining our value, gaining our sense of control, gaining a sense of self, gaining a sense of identity based on where someone else is at. And so what Jesus says, and I have seen this for myself, 
I'm glad that it hasn't happened too much in my experience, but it does happen. But people will point out the mistakes and the issues in someone else's life because it makes them feel better about themselves. Oh, you don't do that, but I do. You say, you don't know how to pray, but I know how to pray. You don't know how to be generous, but I know how to be generous. You've got that issue with lust, but I don't have that issue with lust. Although I kind of find, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like nowadays it's kind of flipped. Oh, you get angry? No, I get angry. It's kind of flipped the other way. Don't you reckon? Like in society, it's like who does things worse is somehow better. I don't know, but it's weird. But it's still this comparison. But Jesus talks about living in community. And I believe that when he talks about judgment, not, he's speaking specifically about his people because he uses the word brother, when you see your brother. And in Jesus' worldview, his uh, body is his family, and so we're all brothers and sisters in the family. So Jesus is not talking so much about judgment outside the body of Christ, but he's talking about judgment within a community like ours. And he says that when we are living in a community like ours and we actually rub shoulders with each other, we will start to see the flaws in each other's lives. Does that scare you? Because I actually think that there have been people that have left this church when people have started to see the flaws in their life. And like, oh, they figured my thing out. I'm going to bring my stick to some other church because they haven't figured me out yet and I can lie low. I think that there have been people that don't realize that the church community is meant to be one where you are seen for who you are. And that means that your specs or your logs are going to be noticeable if you spend enough time with us. And so Jesus is saying, when this community have spent enough time and see each other's faults, this is what you are meant to do. You are not meant to be the person that points everyone else's flaws out. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's here to convict. You are not here to convict. You are meant to be part of community, not some convictor. All right, That's not your job. Change your job title because you are meant to be here and we are all under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so when we start to see the flaws in someone else's life, Jesus tells us two things. One, understand that you've got your own issues to deal with. See, the community is one, a healthy community is one where every person takes responsibility for their own flaws and recognizes it, and works on it. You don't own that speck or that log. That is not part of your identity. It is a flaw that is causing your vision to be tarnished. It is something that will irritate you, and it's something that is there to be removed, not left. And so one of the questions that we have to deal with with this statement is, am I living in community in a way that I have allowed other people to point out and help me deal with the specs or maybe even the logs that are in my eye. So that's the first thing that we do. And what this talks about is humility. You see, when we see each other 
It is not meant to be a status thing. I have dealt with more logs in my life than you can ever count. And it's like, you're not a lumberjack. You're a Christian and you're just dealing with your issues. And so deal with your issues. And that's great. It's not meant to be like, oh, I'm so saved by grace. That's fantastic. We all are. But it's for this humility of, hey, I have dealt with it and it has brought me life. When I took that speck out of my eye, it brought me life. When I took that log out of my eye, I stopped hurting myself. When I dealt with that issue, it actually really unleashed God's grace in my life in a new way. And I therefore want the same for you. That's what this is meant to be about. And we humbly approach the other person and we say, hey, I've dealt with that. And I possibly had it worse than you, but I see this and this is how it affected me. And so can I journey with you according to what I have dealt with in my life? See, this, is, this whole thing is, sometimes we take this whole do not judge thing and we end up isolated. Because I'm not allowed to talk to a person about that issue. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to be talking about that. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, deal with this log in your eye so that you can help someone else with it. So that you can help. This is not a deal with the speck in your eye so that you will be comfortable. It's deal with the speck or the log in your eye so that you can help someone else. So that is what this is all about. Jesus is helping us understand what the community is for. And I think the rest of chapter 7 uh, uh, comes from this frame, and that's why I took a bit of time with it. And Jesus, at the same time, he gives us this wisdom that do not give dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs. He wasn't judging people and condemning them and bringing them down because that's what he just said is hypocritical. We're not meant to be pushing people down. But what he's saying, I think, is giving an analogy of not every person wants to be helped. Our duty and our job as Christians is not to ensure that someone else takes the help that we want to give them. That's not our job. If there's someone in this community that does not want to be helped, they do not want to be helped. There is nothing in the Bible that says you must help the person and shove it down their little throats. If not, you're not being a Christian. No, no, no. Jesus says, if they're going to turn... And this is, this, there's wisdom here. There are some people that you try to help them and they will turn around and attack you. <laughs> Literally, Jesus says that, not me. And I have seen that in my life because I have this flaw uh, that I'm a fixer. If someone is in my life and I see uh, an issue that I think I can help, I want to fix it. It's like, it's an OCD around personality. I need to deal with that issue. And I have learned that not every person accepts. And that's a flaw in me. I'm dealing with it. I've got a speck in my eye in regards to that. I feel... I feel good about myself when I help someone else out and all of that. But I have learned that it's not my job to make someone else accept my help. But there is a truth in this community that we all should be dealing with the specs and the logs in a timely way where Holy Spirit convicts. All right, I'm going to keep going on. So we get to the next section there, which is almost a bit of a whiplash because we go from do not judge and pearls before swine, and then Jesus suddenly says, ask and you will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. 
so what is going on here? Is Jesus just kind of like, oh, I'm coming to the end of my sermon, and so I'm going to throw out random thoughts, and I hope that you catch something. Is that what is going on? We've had two and a half chapters of stuff, and then Jesus goes, oh, yeah, by the way, just to encourage you all, ask and you will receive. Seek. No, I think that this needs to be read in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about dealing with all of these different issues, these perspectives about life, and I think that Jesus is saying, this is a hard journey. This is not easy. To be in a community where your specs and your logs are being pointed out and dealt with is not easy. To be in a place where your weaknesses are constantly, not maybe not constantly, but every now and then when you feel like you're doing really well, isn't that kind of like life? I feel like I'm doing really well in life and then suddenly something will come out and I'm like, man, have I not dealt with that already? Am I not better than that? And it's like, oh man, here we go again. And, it, and then, you, yeah, you know, that whole journey. And I think that what Jesus is saying here is that when we discover that there is a difficulty in doing the things that are important and healthy and that will cause us to flourish, and we hit a bit of a wall, what do you do? You ask, you seek, and you knock. I'm not sure about this, I couldn't find any evidence for this necessarily, but when I looked into it, the words ask, seek, and knock in the Greek kind of um, rhyme. They kind of have this kind of rhyme, I'm not even going to try to read it out, um, but th there's this rhyming kind of a tone to it, and I wonder whether Jesus is not saying that you ask for some things and you seek for other things and you knock for other things. I think they're meant to rhyme because there is this perseverance that is required when it comes to the difficult things of living in the kingdom. It's like, yes, when it first starts, it's like, God, please help me. And then after a while, when the issue is still not done and dealt with, you continue to seek. You keep going a little bit harder. God, I really need your help. And then it's still not dealt with, and you're knocking on that door. You're like, Jesus, I need your grace, and I need your power in my life because this is not going well. I think that there is something about the Christian life that we have lost when we forget to persevere through difficult situations and at the same time continue to press in to God and to seek after Him. And Jesus promises us that as we continue to seek after Him, God gives us good gifts. Our God is one who gives us good gifts. We often think that the good gift is that discomfort or that issue or that problem being dealt with and taken away. I think that when I'm reading this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, let's say I've got an anger issue, and I think I do have an anger issue, and I go, man, why is this anger issue still there? God, help me with this. The good gift is not that God takes away the anger so I never have to persevere through it, but the gift is that as I am persevering through it, His grace is there to cover my weaknesses. But I continue to stay weak because it's in my weakness that His strength is made perfect in me. God's good gift is often found when we persevere. It's not just found when the difficulty disappears. And so that is something that we really need to continue to learn. And can I just, 
um, put forward for you uh, that as we hit the end of the year and we consider uh, as a time of reflection, evaluation, we're starting a brand new year, 2023. Uh, I thought 2022 was going to be an amazing year uh, and, and COVID will be a thing of the past and I was wrong and it really kind of stumped me. But I'm looking forward to the next year and I really do believe that we should enter this new year not allowing ourselves to become disappointed at the things that didn't work out this year, but with a point of view of when am I asking, seeking, and knocking for in a new year? What is something that I need to deal with in my life in this next season? As we've gone through the last seven weeks plus this week, eight weeks of the Sermon on the Mount, there must have been something, some aspect that has grabbed your attention that the Holy Spirit is speaking about and saying, you need to deal with this. And so how are you going to do that? How are you going to persevere in these things that God is asking you to deal with? And I love that a lot of these issues are to do with relationship within the church. So next year, how are you going to live in this community? What are you going to do in order to come deeper and into more meaningful connection the way that God has intended? And I think that this is all part of it, because in verse 12, after Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, and that God gives us good things, verse 12 says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. So. So, it's linked, it's linked to the previous section. It is not a separate statement, it's the same statement. So, ask, seek, and knock, God will give you good things, so whatever you wish someone else do to you, you do to them as well. Why? Because that's what I've been saying, the asking, seeking, and knocking is not just for like, God, I want really nice Christmas presents this year. But it's about, God, I'm really struggling with this because I want to treat people the way that you want me to treat them, but I'm struggling with that, and so I need your grace for this. It's so. When you consider what you are, the golden rule, that's the, the, our culture calls it the golden rule. I've seen this statement in secular uh, classrooms. The golden rule. Do whatever you want others to do unto you, right? We've seen it everywhere. The statement is not meant to be taken out of the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, I just wish to be left alone, so I'm going to leave everyone alone. The introvert in me loves that. I'm leaving you alone, so you leave me alone. That is not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is, so whatever you wish others do to you, as part of the kingdom of God, as part of what Jesus has just instructed us over the last two and a half chapters. It's dealing with your anger, dealing with your lust, dealing with the desires that are corrupting and, and are dysfunctional for you. It is about learning to be pray, prayerful and fasting and being generous. It's about dealing with uh, 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 anger, like issues in your relationship, finding reconciliation, trusting that God is generous. All of these issues flow out of a place of, God, give me the grace to do the things that you have called me to. 
and verse 13, and we keep going in the same direction. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Now, we might have heard this if you've been in church for a while, and you might have heard that Jesus is saying, trust in me, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, which is absolutely true. However, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I think that the narrow gate that Jesus is referring to here is that if we trust in Him, we are brought into His community that is made from equally broken human beings to myself. The word narrow in the Greek comes from the root word which means sighing and groaning. Enter the sighing and groaning gate. And you know, when I think about trusting Jesus, it often feels really nice and good. I trust you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good. You are my champion. You're able to do all these wonderful things. And then I see some of you and I start. (gasps) (sighs) I think that's what this is referring to. Absolutely. I will make you sigh and groan at times because I have got specks and logs but enter the flippin' narrow gate. Jesus says, this is my community. All yous living together, rubbing shoulders. My community is going to be made of you guys. But if you want the grace of God for you, you give the grace of God to someone else. You didn't deserve it, and they don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. But God's grace brings us together, and we are meant to be the city on a hill through showing that we are able to love and be in community, God's community, in this way so that we show forth His grace. God's grace is most amazingly shown when we love and accept and journey with people that don't deserve it. It's easy to love a friend and it's easy to love someone who loves you back. It is damn hard to love someone who has hurt you. But Jesus says, deal with that anger and bring about reconciliation. The last few weeks, I've had opportunities to do it, and it's not fun. I've tried to bring reconciliation. I think I have brought reconciliation, but I've had to swallow a big gob of pride. And it feels like I'm choking on my own pride. But God's grace reminds me that I never deserved to be loved in the first place. Not by Him. And so if I desire to be accepted by Jesus, He's asking me to accept the other person that is causing me to sigh and to groan. Do not judge, but rather deal with my specs. I see the pride there, Jesus, but they've got more pride. No, 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 it's not about who's got more pride. It's the fact that the pride has been shown in my eye and I'm having to deal with that. So enter by the narrow gate. This is a really important thing that I think is lost in individualistic society, that trusting in God requires us to enter into deep community. The narrow gate It's not that we just love Jesus and then we enter it and then there's nothing else. We enter the gate and then what do we enter into? A community, a city full of people. And that's what we are entering into. How I'm living in community says a lot about whether I trust the gate that I've just walked through. 
We don't polish the gate and stand outside the gate. The whole point of the gate is to give us entry into something else. Was that something else? A part of it is this. But a big part of this is that there's the grace, the leadership, the love of the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Next section, verse 15. So Jesus goes from the narrow gate to talking about the false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. I want to jump across to verse 21. You can read all about the fruit. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, what's that day? The day of judgment. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what is going on here? I don't think that we can take this out of context. This is not about, you know, as a church, we need to beware of others that are trying to come in. That's not what this is about. I think there is elements in that, and the Bible does teach us to be, as, as pastors, to be mindful of wolves that are, you know, trying to steal from the flock and all that kind of stuff. But I think in the context of what Jesus is talking about, is that he's talking about how there's a community of God that is established, and then as that community is established, then there'll be people that come in and try to teach us how to live differently to how the community was established in the first place. So this is all about, again, the, the kingdom of God established as a community, a local community. And so he says that we as a community, we need to be mindful of the things that are coming into the community. We need to be uh, mindful of people that, will, that are false prophets. What are prophets? People who are declaring what is supposedly truth, but then these are false, so they're declaring false truths or lies, basically. And they will come in and they will tell you how you are supposed to live, but we will know them by their fruit. Now, what is a false prophet's fruit? Jesus is very big here, and that's why I read verse 21 to verse 23, the fruit is not the ministry, is not the prophecy, it is not the deliverances, is not the healing, is not those things. The fruit is about the character, and we spoke about this in the previous series, this is about two months ago now, the fruit is about character. You will know a false prophet by their character, not what they can accomplish. You will know them by their character. And so what I think is happening here when Jesus talks about all of this is don't get caught up with a person's acts and what they're able to accomplish when their character is rubbish or corrupted or fallen. And how do we know a person's character? Let me tell you one big way we understand a person's character you spend time with them. You will not know a person's character if you don't spend time with them. And so in today's day and age, I think this is a really important statement because there's a lot of amazing teaching that is available for us using the internet and technology. 
You can listen to pastors and preachers from across the world who have got thousands and thousands of followers. But this is one thing you will never know about them. You will never know their character unless something goes wrong. And by then, you have been consuming their teaching for a long time, and you've been eating possibly from a bad tree. This is why I don't believe that you can do online church well until you can actually learn the character of the people that you're interacting with. Maybe one day when we have virtual reality that truly brings all of me into this virtual world, maybe, maybe if I can truly understand who you are and interact with you as a human being, not an avatar that you have created that has blue skin and a weird tail, I think we need to be, and this is why I think this is in here, because God loves His community. And he doesn't want us to get caught up with the glitz and the glamour of people that have done great actions but have not worked on their heart. They are able to say whatever they want to say because they have a platform of thousands of people, but they haven't built people in the closeness of their life that are dealing with the specs and the logs. Now, there are many pastors out there that I do believe deserve the platform, but I will never know for sure. So I will say consume carefully. In TikTok universe, you can just scroll through and get a whole bunch of amazing thoughts, but is it attached to good trees? Is it attached to healthy trees? It might be truth, but attached to a bad tree, any truth can still be twisted. You can hear the truth from a psychologist that is telling you, you know, you don't need people to gaslight you. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But it's coming from a heart, a character that says that I, I don't need to take anything from anyone, then that's still bad fruit. It's still going to hurt you in the long run. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the best teacher in the world. I'm not saying that I'm always accurate in everything that I say. But at the very least, you know me. Or at least I think you kind of know me. As a small church, we kind of do life together. You see what I'm like. Many of you have been to my home. You know how we live. You know what I'm like when this is turned off and how I'm interacting where you are able to better judge my fruit. And if we are living in a community and you're seeing, oh, that's a bit of bad fruit, then hopefully we'll be able to deal with it. That's what the community is for. All right, last section, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish builder who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Over the last eight weeks, Beck and I have tried to, as best as we can, understand the Sermon on the Mount and bring to you the key thoughts and the key way of understanding Jesus' inauguration message. But I'm praying that this is not just knowledge, that you go, oh yeah, cool, I now understand the Sermon on the Mount but rather there's, there's something that goes inside. I need to live 
according to Jesus' message. Note that Jesus doesn't say that the person who hears these words is like a wise man who has a house built on a rock. He didn't receive the house built on the rock. He builds the house on the rock. In other words, as long as Beg and I have been faithful in our exegesis, in our interpretation of Scripture, we've given you the rock, but now you need to build on it. Now you need to take brick by brick and build this house so that it doesn't topple. You still get the choice of whether you build on the rock or you build on the sand. And therefore, I, as I explained earlier in this message, I hope that over the next few weeks, that as you know, even our gatherings go on a break, that you take some time out and you consider your life. Am I building on the rock? Or what are the aspects of my life that I'm not building well? Am I in community? Am I vulnerable in community? Am I dealing with the issues in my personality? How am I dealing with the relationships? How am I doing all of these things? You can grab all the messages, look through all of, all of your notes, and, and consider, and at the very least, take one or two things that next year you are going to do and action out. Because you do the words that Jesus spoke, not just hear them. That's what Jesus is saying. We're going to finish with communion this morning, so if I can get the band up, and if I can get um, the host team to give out the emblems. As I've said um, a number of times, the early church didn't celebrate communion specifically um, to remember that Jesus died, even though that is a part of it, but more that Jesus rose again and gives us this eternal life, this flourishing life that we get to live out today. There is still a hope that we have in the complete fulfillment of all that Jesus uh, brings to us as a kingdom. But right now, we are already beginning to live in the flourishing life of the kingdom in closeness to God. But as we've talked about this whole series, there's a lot of stuff to work on. And I've definitely felt that, and I've definitely had to work on a few things. And there's a part of me that kind of wonders, what about the God of unconditional love? If God loves me unconditionally, then why do I have to do all of these things? And as I was pondering that, and I don't know whether this is the perfect analogy, but this is what came to me. Imagine that Stephen, wonderful Stephen, decides to tell all of us, anyone that comes to my house on 25th December will receive an amazing gift. Anyone. It doesn't matter whether I know you. It doesn't matter whether you've done anything for me. It doesn't matter whether I have a relationship with you. It doesn't matter. This gift is unconditional in his intent. But what is conditioned on is whether you are going to go to his house or not. And you have no right to stay in your house and say, Stephen, you didn't come and give me the gift. Because Stephen's unconditional gift required a response. And Jesus gives this parable 
where there's this banquet of the great king, the king being God and God putting on this banquet to celebrate. And, and so he goes out into the streets and he invites every single person. But then one person rocks up and it's supposed to be a wedding feast. And one person rocks up and this person is not in wedding attire. And this person is thrown out of the feast. And that is a really difficult picture for us because we're going, how could you throw that person out? But what we don't understand or what we need to remember is that God is the one that prepares the feast. God is the one that is throwing this amazing wedding banquet for us and His grace is received by anyone who comes to Him but is predicated upon whether we are going to come to Him or not. And so how do we come to Him well, we've read three chapters of ways that we come to Him. We've read three chapters of instructions on how we come to Him. And sometimes we read it, and because it is to do with how we are living with someone else, we go, that's not coming close to God. But Jesus is saying, when you serve the least of these, you are serving me. When you serve one another, and when you love one another, you are loving me. When you dealt with the issues of your heart and lived in community with others that I loved, you were loving me. So I'm praying that over the next few weeks as we have this Christmas break, that you start to think, how am I drawing close to God? Because He's given us three chapters full of ways that we get to live closer to God. And yes, the whole Bible is full of many other ways that we can come closer to God. But we focus the last two months on this because I think it's a really important message. Remember how Jesus started. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does blessed mean? You're in a position to flourish. How do we get to that position of flourishing? We deal with our anger, we deal with our lust, we deal with broken relationships, we deal with our discipline in our prayer and our fasting and our generosity, we deal with our perspective of God, whether He is a generous God or whether we're just selfishly looking after ourselves. And so as you take these emblems this morning, let it be a reminder that God has invited you to a flourishing life. And make a commitment this morning, God, help me to take steps in this coming season and this coming year to come closer to you. So why don't you take the bread? And why don't you take the cup? I want to pray over every person. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you're not a distant God who stays away from us, but you're a God who comes close. You're a God who desires relationship with us. You're a God who teaches us how to live that flourishing life. And I pray to God that we will make an effort to take these steps that you've called us to. And God, I pray where we struggle, I pray that we will ask, we will seek, we will knock. We won't stop until we know that you are, uh, have accomplished what you want to do in our lives. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. 
follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.